Version control systems are how software developers keep track of source code and how it changes over time. Today we'll break them down for you. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. Dave, let's start with what is a version control system? Well, software projects are complex. They often involve managing thousands or even millions of lines of code. And we need an easy way to track changes. One developer might be working on one part of the program while another developer is working on a very different part of the program. And we want those changes to come together seamlessly. We want to be able to see a history of those changes. And sometimes we might even want to be able to undo those changes. So when we have teams working together on software projects, we need a system for managing the changes over time and handling some things that might happen between changes. What if two people are working on the same part of the program? How do we manage that conflict? And how do we keep everyone up to date with the latest changes? So if engineer one makes a change and engineer two is not aware of it, they might end up working on something that doesn't really make sense because there's already been changes that affect what they're working on. So version control systems are ways of solving all of these problems. It kind of sounds like the way we might use or I use a Google Doc at work. Yeah, actually, a Google Doc is a good analogy because Google Docs allow multiple people to collaborate and they also track all the changes in the history over time and you can go back in time. So they're actually a kind of document version control system. They're just specific to word processing documents mm -hmm. or a spreadsheet document. Whereas version control systems for source code and other kinds of text files are generally more general purpose. They'll work with any kind of text file. They will even work with binary files, although they don't usually work as well with binary files because it's harder to see where the changes are exactly. But they're more general purpose. And they basically are for exactly the same thing that the history in Google Docs is for, tracking changes over time, enabling people to revert to earlier versions, and enabling people to see that whole history and work together at once. So they're going to allow multiple users to collaborate, usually across the internet. That's usually how we work today on software, somehow having some central repository where all of the source code goes, and each of the individuals getting the source code from that repository, making their changes, and then putting their changes back into that repository. So typically they're used for source code. They can be used for other kinds of text files and even for binary files, but they work best really for source code. That's really what they were made for. There are two different models for version control system. Is that correct? There's two main models still in use. One is client server. In this model, we have a central repository that has a canonical version of the project. Each of the people working on the project submits their changes to the central repository and the central server that's handling that repository handles all of the conflicts and resolves the conflicts. So it's kind of like every time you want to make a change, you're checking up with the server and saying, hey, I've got this change I want to make. Is it okay? And the server figures out if it is or it's not. Contributors, though, then need to constantly be syncing with that central server. They need to be always on guard to get the latest changes from the central server, and they need to be constantly checking in with it as they make their own changes. It also means that each of the contributors might not have access to the full history and everything that's going on with the repository on their local system. 
It's only all maintained on that central server. So the central server is kind of like a single point of failure. There's an alternative model, which is what most modern version control systems do, which is called distributed. In this model, every contributor has their own full copy of the repository, including the full history of changes. So there's not just one single canonical copy, everybody who's working on the project has their own copy. That's why it's called distributed. It's distributed amongst all the people working on it. And it also means that you can actually go and make changes to the repository without having a network connection or communicating with some kind of central repository. You can go make your own changes locally, and then later on, the changes can be merged back together from each person's individual local copy of the repository. So the version control systems are storing the work. Yeah, they're storing everything that's going on in the project, and they're storing all the changes over time. And so you might be thinking, well, maybe they just, every time you make a change, they just copy all the files over, and there you have your new version. Mm -hmm. That would be very inefficient. If you think about it, that would be a really simple version control system. You can just go make a folder containing all the contents of your project, and then you can go make a new folder when you make some changes and copy everything over, right? And just have multiple copies of every time you make a change. Yeah, that would sort of work, but and that's actually what some people used to do. Before version control systems existed, old-time software developers, what they used to do is they used to actually just have separate folders with different versions of the project. That was actually how things used to be done. A much more efficient thing to do is to have a system that can automatically just figure out what changed. Instead of copying everything, let's just copy what changed. For example, let's say I had a file that contained a list of my favorite vegetables, right? Um, Maybe it has five vegetables in it. Broccoli, squash, is that a vegetable? Mm -hmm. Lettuce, cucumber, and radishes. Okay, so it has my five favorite vegetables, and let's say that that takes about, I don't know, 200 bytes to store, right? Um, instead of, then I want to add a new vegetable on, okay? I want to put a new vegetable into my file, a new vegetable to the end of my list. Maybe it's cauliflower. Okay, I want to put cauliflower on. If I go and make a new file, I'm going to have that old file already that's 200 bytes, and maybe adding cauliflower is another, I don't know, 10 bytes. And adding that 10 bytes, now I have another file that's 210 bytes, so now my total repository is going to be 410 bytes, if that's how I was doing, if I was just making copies every time. If I just store the change, then all I'm adding is one line, just that one line for cauliflower that maybe took 10 bytes. So instead, now I have the 200 bytes plus the 10 bytes, and my whole thing is only 210 bytes. So I'm just storing, hey, I'm just adding on this one line, and this is the place to add that line in. Now there's some overhead, really, so it's not really just the 10 bytes. There's We need to somehow know where that change is being made. So we have to keep some metadata. So it's not just really just the 10 bytes, but it's a lot less than copying over the whole file. So the much more efficient thing to do is just store the deltas, the changes. How do we go from one version to another? What do we need to make happen to go from an earlier version of the repository to the next version of the repository? And that's how all modern version control systems work. So they're actually quite efficient. They're only storing what you change to go from one version to another instead of making copies of all of the files. What were some of the open source version control systems that have been in use? Yeah, there's many of them, actually. Uh, There's one that's really, really common today called Git. And most people have probably heard of Git, G-I-T, 
because they've probably heard of GitHub, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But there's been many over time. Some of the earliest ones, things like SCCS and RCS, were not actually even networked. So they were just there on your local computer, just on a single machine where you wanted to keep track. And it could be that it was a time-sharing machine, so there were multiple people using it. But it was just a way of keeping track on one machine of how source code changes over time. That was in like the 70s and the early 80s. Then in the late 80s into the 90s and the early 00s, we really moved over to a client-server model. That we talked about the two different main models today earlier, client-server versus distributed. But some of the popular client-server model version control systems were things like CVS and Subversion, which are both still in use today. They're not as common as they used to be. They used to be very common. They've been displaced by the modern distributed systems, but they were very common for a long time. And today, the really common systems are all distributed systems. And the two that are really popular are Git and Mercurial. And Git is much, much more popular than Mercurial. Git has become kind of an industry standard, and it's used almost everywhere. Tell us a little bit more about Git. When was it developed and by who? So this whole idea of distributed version control systems came about really in the 1990s. And there was a popular one or semi-popular one that was proprietary, not open source, called BitKeeper. BitKeeper was actually loved by Linus Torvalds, who's the person who created the Linux kernel. And we did a previous episode, What is Linux? We also did a previous episode on software development tools. It's kind of related to this episode. So I'm going to include that in the show notes as well. Anyway, he liked BitKeeper and he was actually using it for working on the Linux kernel. And he liked it so much, but the issue was that it was not open source and the Linux kernel is open source and a lot of people who work on the Linux kernel or are involved in kind of the Linux community feel strongly that all the tools should be open source too. So what Linus did is he went and actually developed his own distributed version control system. So he did it, he actually started the project and he built something that was as good as BitKeeper and so he kind of cloned it and you got to feel a little bit bad for the developers of BitKeeper because you know, they were, they could have been the next big thing, but they were proprietary and people wanted something open source. So Linus, it's amazing, right? It, it's one thing to be a one hit wonder mm-hmm. in software and be super successful at one thing. And of course, Linux is amazingly successful, but Linus has actually b- done two software projects that he started that have become amazingly successful because Git, like I said, is the industry standard today. So he developed it in the early OOs and it quickly gained a lot of traction. And today Git is really ubiquitous. And you know, it's a powerful version control system. We mentioned earlier how it's a distributed version control system. It can be a little bit intimidating when people are learning it for the first time. But there's plenty of tutorials and because it's used so widely, because it's used just about everywhere, there's a lot of help out there for people to become competent in using it. So I would encourage anyone who's getting involved in open source or even just software development generally because it's used in a lot of closed source too, to learn Git because it's really the de facto standard version control system today. How do GitHub and Git relate to each other? Yeah, a lot of people listening have probably heard of GitHub. And if you're a software developer, you're almost definitely familiar with it. The name Git is in GitHub, right? It's a place for hosting your Git repositories. It's a centralized website where everyone can get free Git repository creation that they can then sync up amongst multiple users. So Git is still a distributed system, but you want to have one place where people can connect to and get a copy of that distributed repository. And so GitHub has become the hub 
for Git repositories. There are other sites like it. There's sites like GitLab and others that are kind of popular, but GitHub is far and away the biggest site by far. And they let anybody have free public repositories. And actually now they let people have free private repositories too. It's become so common and so widely used that when you apply for jobs now, people sometimes ask to see your GitHub profile. And on your GitHub profile, you'll see like repositories that you've made and you'll see how many contributions you've made in the last year. So it's really something that people really look at to kind of judge each other, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. So GitHub has become the home of open source software on the web and also just the home of kind of software collaboration on the web. And there were other sites before it, things like Google Code or SourceForge that were also used for hosting version control systems, but they've really fallen out of favor. Everything is GitHub today. And GitHub is more than just a place for putting your source code and working on projects with other people. It's become something of a open source social network. You people have profiles, they can post status updates, people follow each other, you have a news feed. They rate each other as well, right? So people do have a way on GitHub of putting stars to say that they've like favorited a repository. Oh, I see. And that's another way you get judged. So if you have a repository that has a lot of stars, people go, oh, wow, they must be, you know, must be a good project. And maybe they get more interested in following what you're doing as a software developer. So, yeah, absolutely. It, it has become, like I said, fortunately or unfortunately, I say fortunately because it's nice because it's accessible to almost anybody. Anybody can go make a GitHub profile. Anyone who knows how to program can start contributing code. So it's pretty open access. But unfortunately, because it can be very judgmental and it's not always fair, right? Does somebody who works, you know, 40 plus hours a week have time to be doing contributions on GitHub during their nights and weekends if they have a family and stuff? So is it really fair to judge people based on their GitHub profiles? Like I said, fortunately or unfortunately, because while it is open to everybody, it is kind of tough how people get judged on it. This has become the way that a lot of companies do recruiting or even like look at people when you're applying for a job. So anyway, it's it's something of a social network. It's like a cross between like LinkedIn and these older kind of source code repository websites like SourceForge or something like that. So GitHub, though, is really, really important. And it has become the most important website for software development today, I would say. But it's free. So how is it managed or does someone... Yeah, so it was originally a private company. It was a startup company. And what they would do is it would be free to have public repositories. So those are repositories that anyone can access. But if you wanted to have a repository that was private so that you could just work with a few people, you would pay for that privilege. And then they would also have enterprise plans and things like that. A couple of years ago, Microsoft purchased GitHub. And since Microsoft has purchased GitHub, they've actually made it even more free. So now it's free for private repositories too. And it seems like they haven't made it any less open. Microsoft has a long and complicated history with open source software. And for a lot of their history, they were actually very much in opposition to it. But during the last five to 10 years, they've really started to embrace open source in a big way. And this purchase of GitHub has made them the main steward of the most important website in open source software. And we're going to talk about one of their initiatives, actually, on our next episode. Well, thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? 
We're at Copec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.